When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Louis Gadima. Louis, welcome to the show. Hey, Henry. It's great to be on here. Excited to have you. Uh, this topic of marketing is obviously a big one for all of us small business owners. Uh, Louis is the bullseye marketing guy. That's the name uh, of his book as well, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, The bullseye marketing guy, he's also a marketing strategist, a keynote speaker, an author, as I alluded to, and an entrepreneur. He uh, created the internet marketing agency, Magic Hour Communications, oversaw the, the development of its Magic One web CMS, and built Magic Hour into one of the top companies in its national web SaaS market. And then he sold that business in 2009. Uh, Louis has worked with startups to Fortune 100 companies to help them prioritize their best short, mid, and long-term revenue opportunities and implement low-risk and high-return marketing programs to achieve them. He's also a mentor uh, for startups at MIT. He speaks frequently at regional and national groups. And he blogs on uh, marketing and business strategy on his own blog and on many other leading business blogs. Uh, Today, Louis is focused on helping companies and small business owners to help develop and implement strategic marketing programs that drive business results. And as I mentioned, he's the author of the recently released book, Bullseye Marketing, How to Grow Your Business Faster. I got a copy sent to me, which I greatly appreciate, Louis, have gone through it. It's a tremendous book, and we'll be chatting about that today. Can't talk about all of it because it is a substantial book, but we're going to touch on it in our conversation today as it applies to small business owners. Louis lives in the West Newton, Massachusetts area. And so, again, today we're going to chat about his journey, how he got to where he is today as an entrepreneur and then some key takeaways from the book. So with all of that said, Louis Gadima, welcome to the show. Good morning, Henry. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. It's uh, kind of cold and rainy here in Boston, uh, but okay. it's supposed to be uh, beautiful tomorrow, so uh, we'll look forward to that. Well, as we are recording this, we finally have gotten a break from our rains in the Dallas area. This weekend it rained nonstop, so mm. it's good to actually see the sunshine. All right, so let's get started with with your career, your journey. Tell me about uh, the early days, what you did after school, your your career, and then leading up to starting your first business. Well, when I was uh, in college, I studied uh, theater and film, huh. and when I, uh, which is actually a, a a very good background for marketing. Uh, there's a lot of storytelling skills in there and, and a lot of communication skills, writing. And then um, when I was in my 20s, 
I kind of was doing theater in the Boston area and then transitioned into corporate uh, uh, communications and, and marketing. And my first client was Coleco Toys at the height of Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh my. So this is going back a little bit, but that was uh, for people who aren't familiar with what a, a phenomenon that was. Mm. Uh, it was massive and uh, they actually sold more uh, Cabbage Patch Kids in its first year than, than the entire doll category the year, year before. Amazing. And so um, that opened a lot of doors for me working on that account. Uh, because even if people didn't want to talk to me, they wanted to hear about Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> and so uh, Boston has a lot of tech companies. You know, Lotus Development was very big at that time, later got acquired by IBM. Uh, but I then started to do a lot of marketing writing, and then that mo moved into video production and corporate videos uh, for a lot of the tech companies. And... Uh, and then in 98, opened my own marketing agency. Um, as you mentioned, Magic Hour Communications. Uh, initially, we were very focused on, on large uh, companies like IBM and the Boston Globe, uh, venture-backed startups. And uh, after the 2002 crash, wanted to change from that project model where you, you didn't you know, know uh, who you're going to be doing work for until uh, the phone rang to more of a recurring revenue business model. And so we started to develop, uh, design and develop websites for a particular market niche, small colleges and private schools. And that's where we developed our web content management system. We hosted those websites. Uh, we became one of the three or four top vendors in that market niche. And I sold that company in uh, 2009, did uh, business development for a couple other marketing agencies, again, back in the corporate world, uh, closing accounts like Philips Healthcare, Partners Healthcare, uh, and others, and uh, now have been uh, consulting and working with companies through revenue and associates as a revenue marketer for the last five years. Mm. Fantastic. Interesting journey. So it, you, you brought up a good point initially, which I've heard before. Well, obviously, we, we've all heard that uh, that so much of marketing and sales is about storytelling. But it's interesting that you had that that influence and that training really from the, your theater experience and background and brought that over. Uh, but talk to me a little bit more about that. How, how critical do you think it is? And is that, is that one of the mistakes you see the small business owners make is that they don't understand that storytelling component of it? Yeah. And, you know, it's not just small business owners because a lot of the uh, same problems that you see, you know, with small businesses, you can see in midsize and, mm -hmm. and large companies too. You know, they, they don't all, you know, people relate to stories. Think about what people watch on TV most of the time. Think of what you go to at the movies. You go to stories, you know, and even a great documentary filmmaker will tell it as a story. People don't remember facts. They remember stories and, and they remember emotions. So part of what I was doing, for example, for IBM, I, I literally traveled the globe. I circumnavigated the globe twice for IBM, shooting customer success stories uh, in Paris and Sydney, Australia and Hong Kong and all over the place. And, and in just three or four minutes, a customer t could talk about what their problem was, what the IBM solution was and, and how it affected their business. 
And that's something people can relate to often much more than they can some data. You know, engineers need the data, they need the tech specs, but the business end users relate to the stories. Yep, yep, agreed. Curious, so in 2009, when you sold the business, uh, what led to that sale? And, and I'm, I'm asking in a part because I, I see this as one of the hardest decisions that a business owner faces, especially a small business owner, is this decision to sell. Often there's, there's market factors. There could be things that happen with a partnership. There could be life events. But it's always, it's always scary at best, I've found, to decide to sell your business. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, part of it had to do, uh, you know, I had... Uh, been running the business on my own totally as a 100% owner uh, for a dozen years. I had gone now, uh, was in the second kind of boom bust cycle. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you think back to the 2000, you know, that decade, uh, we grew 100% a year in 98, 99, 2000, and then the market crashed in 2002 and we shrunk two thirds. We pivoted, moved into that web market for the small colleges and private schools uh, were very successful in that. And then the market crashed uh, even worse in 2008, uh, 2009. And it was, you know, just a, a really volatile period. And just in terms of, you know, my personal not wanna, wanting to bear that much risk or go through those kinds of boom bust cycles, if that was going to be what it was like. Now it's turned out for the last 10 years, it's been a, a steady growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it hasn't been like that for the, you know, after I sold it, but the company had value because I had that recurring revenue model. I had dozens, you know, we were one of the leading companies. We had uh, 65 clients around the world, uh, country, actually as far away as Hong Kong that were paying us annual fees. And so there was uh, something of value to sell at that time. Yeah. So I decided that uh, for me, and, and the other thing was, as the software became more central to our business, more and more of our budget, more and more of our staff uh, were on the technical and engineering side. And uh, my expertise really is on marketing. And I didn't feel I was the best person to run a company that was becoming increasingly a technology company. Mm. And uh, the, the company that bought it was headed up by a technology guy. I see. I see. That makes sense. Okay, so the book, Bullseye Marketing, I think came out just a few months ago, right? Yeah, in July. In July. So what, what led you to write this book? Well, a couple things. I mean, first of all, um, what I was seeing when I was consulting with companies was that things that worked just five years ago weren't working. And that there was a lot of miss, you know, there were a lot of consultants, there was a lot of software companies, marketing software companies, putting out messages about what companies should do. And again, uh, small companies, but also mid-size and large companies that just weren't working anymore. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, things like social media and content marketing. And th those landscapes have changed dramatically in the fi last five years, but the advice that companies are getting has not changed. Mm. And, and so at the same time, I did a study and was kind of shocked in 2014 when I did this, and then I just repeated it this year, where I looked at 351 B2B companies that had 50 to 1,000 employees. So these are maybe a little bigger than some of your listeners. Right. And looking at how 
how broad and mature their marketing programs were and seeing that there was a huge distinction between the software companies, which were very by and large aggressive mature marketers and companies in most other industries such as marketing and medical devices and professional services, not marketing, manufacturing, medical devices, professional services, that hardly doing, most of them hardly doing any marketing at all and really missing out on great marketing opportunities there and, and revenue growth opportunities. And so uh, the bullseye approach really um, grew out of how could those companies, what was an on-ramp that was a low risk, low cost on-ramp uh, into these marketing programs that could produce results for companies in a matter of weeks or months rather than years, which it often took with social media or content marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to dive into some of those concepts because like you point out, it's such a, what it has ended up happening is it paralyzes most of us as small business owners, either because, you know, we think we're supposed to be on social media. That's the only place we're supposed to be. And we're missing out on the basics of marketing. And that's what I liked in particular about the book, you know, the, the whole, bullseye concept is to to really target in on where the results are in the short term. And a lot of it doesn't have to come very expensively also. A lot of it is free. I mean, it it is astonishing, Henry, how inexpensive marketing tools are these days. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of software that you can use, you know, with a freemium model. Uh, but even something like... Uh, a MailChimp or a Constant Contact, you know, terrific email marketing platforms, you can have 10,000 contacts, email them an unlimited number of times for less than $100 a month. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and it takes care of everything. It takes care of the unsubscribes. It takes, I mean, it manages yeah. it all for you on the cloud. It, not, not technical. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing the yeah. tools that we have. Really easy to use, uh, really, uh, really effective programs like that. So the book is great in, in that regard. Uh, how long did it take you to write it? You know, it took about a year to write. I'm a pretty fast writer. Um, it took about a year to write and then about another six months to go through all the kind of proofreading and design and, and getting it ready to get out there. Yeah, because I mean, it's voluminous. It's 380 something pages. So that what I like about it is, to me, it's a book that, you know, I didn't read it cover to cover. I read through it, skimmed, uh, focused in on chapters that were of particular interest to me. And so now, and I have it dog-eared here and marked for our conversation, it's like a reference guide as well. Is that how you intended it to be used? Yeah, well, I, you know, in the first couple of chapters, it lays out this bullseye marketing approach. Right. And then there's about 20 chapters that each one, you know, does a dive into different marketing tactics, such as email marketing or search advertising or content or website, how to, you know, improve your website. And then the last uh, four or five chapters are kind of how to's, how to hire teams how to uh, use agile marketing as a as an approach to managing your marketing efforts. So um, I actually have a number of colleges already uh, just after a couple months who are, are talking about possibly ad adopting it as a text, mm -hmm. which um, 
I thought of it as kind of a 101 book, uh, but some are talking about using it in their MBA programs. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's not surprising, but it's exactly, I, I thought about calling this conversation Marketing 101 because it is in, in one book, the essentials of marketing, but uh, it doesn't surprise me that even at the MBA level, some of these basic things, quote unquote, basic things um, are essential uh, to their learning. All right. So we, you've touched on it, but, but explain again what you mean or introduce us, if you will, to what you mean by bullseye and the three phases. And if we're envisioning or picturing the three rings and a bullseye and, and how that all ties together to the approach here. Sure. So um, as you said, there are three phases to bullseye marketing. And, and the first phase are the fastest, low risk, uh, really inexpensive or free programs that produce quick results. And they lay the foundation for success uh, in the second and third phases. So you really want to get these down uh, before you go into the second and third phases. And uh, what you're doing in the first phase, uh, if you're an established company, and uh, many of these uh, things will work for startups too. As I mentioned, I, I mentor startups uh, at MIT. I did a, a workshop just yesterday in Boston for uh, SBA SCORE, the program at the Small Business Administration where they work with uh, new entrepreneurs. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a volunteer with SCORE. I'm a mentor with SCORE, so I'm familiar with that program. All right. So uh, that's terrific. And I did a two hour workshop and, and uh, people, you know, saw a lot of applicability of bullseye marketing, even uh, a, a new company. And what you're doing, whether you're new or you're a established company, you've got these marketing assets, what I call marketing assets. And uh, you need to take full advantage of them before you, you make these efforts around other things like search advertising or social or, or, or content. And so some of these marketing assets, and I describe seven or eight of them in the book, uh, include uh, your customers. One of the things that uh, companies often don't do enough of is just talk to their customers rather than listen, uh, and listen to them rather than always selling to them. Mm -hmm. And yet, Whenever I consult with a company and do these customer interviews for them, they're invariably surprised at the results of those interviews. Um, secondly, you know, improving that customer experience and then uh, uh, selling more to them because another mistake companies make uh, is that they, they don't fully take advantage of their existing customers and it's much cheaper to sell to a current customer than it is to get a new customer. Uh, five, 10, 25 times cheaper. And so, uh, you know, there's a great opportunity there for a, a lot of companies that many don't take advantage of. Some of the other, just to mention real quick, uh, two or three other of these center of the bullseye marketing assets, email lists. I can't tell you the number of times I, I've started to work with a company and they have thousands of email contacts and they, they never send out an email except at the holidays. Mm -hmm. The website, most companies and certainly uh, most small companies have websites that, that often don't have very clear messaging, uh, but critically, they don't have any calls to action. They don't have any way that it, to encourage the visitor to the website to start to interact with the company and uh, 
to turn them into a contact and, and potentially a lead. Um, and there's others, but those are some of the center of the bullseye activities that cost almost nothing to do except your staff time and yet can have really fast and uh, dramatic impacts on, on revenue. Yeah, so let me interject here because you've shared a lot there already on this concept. I want to go back to listening to the customers, a couple of questions there. Um, why, I have some ideas as to why, why we get as small business owners often so disconnected from the customer in your observation is because, is it because we get bogged down with the busy work or building stuff or whatever it might be uh, in the back office, if you will, and we kind of lose, lose contact with the customer? Is that what you've observed as to part of the reason why? You know, I don't know if that's uh, you know, there could be different reasons and it may have to do with the psychology of the owner. Some owners are, are very connected and communicate very well. Uh, others, not so much. I, I was doing work with one company and the owner actually said, uh, we got kind of bad feedback from one customer. And he said, I don't know why we're contacting our unhappy customers. It just <laughs> reminds them that they don't like us. And, you know, that's the opposite of the attitude you should have. Bill Gates once said, your unhappy customers are your greatest asset because they, they're the ones who can help you improve your business. And so I'm not entirely sure why, but I, I certainly do know, I, I can remember working with another company and they were developing a product. And I said, you know, call up 20 of your customers over the next few weeks and have you know, 20 or 30 minute conversations with them about this product and find out what they think about it. And I do this with startups all the time too. And uh, get their suggestions, find out how it can be more valuable to them, you know. And, and certainly if this is a good idea, uh, without you asking, at least 20% of those people you talk to will say, if you really go ahead and, and, and develop this, uh, call me because I want to buy that. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bunch of conversations with customers um, or potential customers about a new product uh, or a new business, and they don't say that, that's a real red flag. Because, you know, if you have a really good idea, people should be letting you know that. Yeah, great point. The other thing is a challenge sometimes, Louis, is that how do you separate what feedback did you get from customers who are um, kind of dependent on what you're already offering, but might not be representing or telling you where you've got to go in the market? In other words, how do you how do you make sure that you don't get hung up on only serving that vocal minority, and it keeps you from evolving and developing what's next? Am I am I asking that clearly? Yeah, it's always a challenge, you know, and that's, that can really be a challenge for a company that's starting out um, because when you're, you're scrapping for your first few clients and you have a, a customer who says, I would do business with you if you would provide this or change your product in this way, you know, it can be hard if you haven't done a lot of interviews, if you haven't talked to a lot of people first to know, is that just something that that guy wants, or is that something that the market is going to yeah. want, and, right. and, and that's going to be really useful. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's, 
always something that startups have to avoid getting pulled in the wrong direction uh, when the market, the center of the market is not there. It's really just this one customer who wants that. So does that in part depend on having a very clear vision on of where you want to go with this particular product or idea? Yeah, I, I think part of it is that, but it's also based on that research, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you've talked to enough customers yeah. uh, and you understand their needs uh, that, that you can identify what's, uh, what's someone who kind of fits into that, that market that you've identified uh, as opposed to some company that just has their own one-off need. Right, right. All right, so let's continue here with, with this first phase of fully exploiting our existing assets. Let's go to the website again because there's some great practical tips here that I want to touch on quickly. Uh, you talk about the clarity of the message of the site in the book. And in particular, one example that stood out to me that I highlighted was, you know, what's very common right now on sites is to have a carousel of pictures and topics that, that scrolls horizontally on the page. And, and you say that for the most part, that's not a good idea. Tell me why that's typically not a good idea. Well, the idea is that you're going to get across three or four messages and people, you know, on your homepage, you're going to have this carousel and there's going to be, you know, three, four, five items in it that change every few seconds. Uh, And that way you're going to be able to get across several messages, but in fact, you're going to get across no messages because you're just going to dilute everything and people won't be paying attention or remembering all those messages. Whereas if you had one clear, compelling message uh, that, especially for that first time visitor, that that would be much more important to you. You know, sometimes these carousels are really the result of kind of <laughs> internal uh, internal fighting over that home page real estate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone's trying to, marketing or a web developer, or someone's trying to appease everybody, uh, but they're really just uh, di- diluting and, and not serving the company well. Yeah, and sometimes it's technology for technology's sake. I look at how cool our website looks. It has this spinning thing when you come to it. Uh, yeah. it, it is amazing to me, Louis, how many sites I go to and I'm like, it takes me a while to figure out what they're about, right? It's it's either cliched uh, text or copy or generic or, you know, all these words that mean nothing and I'm still confused to, to try to figure out what they're about. Um, so that's part of that clear message is what am I, what am I about here when you, and what do I want you to do? So you talked about the call to action. That can be as simple as join my email list or call or click here to take the trial. Is that what we're talking about when yeah. we're saying call to action, right? Right, exactly. Call to, it depends on what your, your organization is about. For, uh, uh, you know, for a nonprofit, it might be a donate or volunteer. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, for an e-commerce site, it's going to be um, offers, you know, hey, this is our special today. Uh, for a corporate site, it might be, uh, you know, get our uh, industry tips, um, sign up for our webinar, download our white paper. Uh, it could be all sorts of different things, uh, but ways to get those people who are kind of, you know, if you don't have these 99.9% of the people who come to your website are going to come and go without a trace, and you need a way to, to start 
engaging with them to uh, start to develop, uh, you know, some business from those website visitors. Yeah, and 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 don't hide those call to action buttons or forms or whatever it might be. Right, that's also the thing I see as it gets buried. Yeah, even you know something that's very becoming more popular now is chat. And that's another form, you know, just having that little chat bug in the bottom right corner of, of every web page that people can click on to talk to someone quickly. You know, that's another way to do it. Yeah. Even with the, the bot technology, you, you are seeing that as effective because people, they don't want to pick up the phone. They want to do it over their computer or their phone. So you are seeing that be effective as, as, well, as far as being responsive to somebody who's visiting your site. Well, you know, there's a couple ways that you can implement it. One is to always have a staff person on it if you mm-hmm. have enough people. Um, or, you know, if you're starting out, your website isn't getting that much traffic and not that right. many people are going to click on it. And if you are sitting at your desk working on things and once a day, if that, someone uses your chat window and you hear a little ping and you pay attention to it, that might be a very valuable use of a, of a few minutes. That might be a, an interruption worth having. Right. Um, so uh, even if you can't staff it with live people, and then you've got you know, very high-end systems like Drift for uh, larger, you know, mid-size and larger companies that actually use AI to automate that. And I've been hearing uh, you know, from companies who are, who are using that Uh, terrific uh, results. All right, let's jump to email, which you also mentioned uh, a few things there that that I wanted to touch on. Uh, You call email the the 500 pound gorilla, not quite the 800 pound. I'm curious as to why just a 500 pound, but nonetheless, big enough. Um, You know, I I have this love-hate relationship with email because um, while we use it at at our frozen, self-serve frozen search restaurant, for example, we've got like a 5,000 person email and we've had success with it because we've got a physical sign up at our shop and the reward is you get a coupon, a buy one, get one free coupon when you sign up. And that's been very successful. But I always struggle with as a recipient of so much email uh, that I don't want to bother those people that it's going to come across as spammy. So, so tell me what I'm missing there. You know, for two and a half years, I wrote a daily email marketing tip. And I had, because it was different every day, it wasn't heavily promotional, it was valuable. I had very few unsubscribes and I had so many people come up to me at events and meetings and tell me how much they enjoyed it. And it was my number one channel, I would say, for new business. Now, more recently, I've cut it back to once a week just because of time, but I heard the uh, chief marketing officer of Vistaprint, which sells to small businesses, uh, you know, business cards and that kind of thing, a few years ago talking. And he said, we email our customers every day. We know we're not supposed to, but we've tested it. And mailing every day is what produces the most business for us. And I see that from Edible Arrangements and 1-800-Flowers and many other organizations too. So, you know, it may be that for a particular type of company, every day is not right. It may be, you know, once a week or twice a week. But you don't want to cut it back so much that you just kind of get lost and, and people aren't paying attention to you. 
almost any survey of marketers about what's their most effective program, their most effective channel, you always see email in the top one or two. And that's in part, Louis, because as you've talked about, it, we're, we're in email every, all day throughout the day, right? We, we've got it on our phones. It's, it's the thing. We're not necessarily on Facebook all day long. Some of us are, but, but we're checking our email all day long. And that's part of the reason why, right? Absolutely. Now, let, let's just walk through an example. Like I mentioned with my self-serve frozen yogurt restaurant, if I were to send an email every day, what on earth would I possibly, this is what I struggle with. What on earth besides here's another coupon, what would I share that's of value on a daily basis? So for a business like that, that's where I have a disconnect. A, B, how on earth am I going to find the time to write that content? Well, again, it may not be right for that. But on the other hand, there's a pizza shop near me that I like. They have thin crust, very good pizza. And they have a different uh, pizza of the day every day. And uh, they certainly could send an email or maybe a tweet or, you know, post it to Instagram of, you know, what's our pizza of the day today. And that email would be a, a short to the point email. It might tell me a little bit about the ingredients. It would certainly include a picture. Is that what they could do with that daily piece of information about them? Absolutely. And, and at the same time, they might say, oh, by the way, we've added two new sandwiches. Or, uh, you know, it's fall and we're, we're introducing, aside from this pizza of the day, we're going to be introducing our butternut squash pizza soon, harvest pizza or whatever it may be. So I think if you think about it, you know, you, you, you may have more to talk about in some businesses. Uh, again, daily may not work for everybody. The way I describe it is more often than you're comfortable with because you're probably thinking I shouldn't bother people with this and you should. Good, yeah, good way to summarize that. All right, you're adamant about, and as am I, about not buying email lists. I wanna to touch on that. I know everybody asks you about that, but it's, it's one of those things that falls in the category of where small business owners get taken because they're bombarded with these kinds of scams, I call them. Uh, but why should we not buy email lists? Uh, they just don't work. Um, you know, you can't, uh, you're not the first person they've been sold to. Uh, a lot of the addresses are garbage. Services like Constant Contact and MailChimp won't even let you import them. They, they have algorithms to detect uh, those kinds of email lists. Uh, then you have to start using some other service that uh, will let you do it. And, and uh, it just is a cascading horror show. I had one client who uh, really wanted to try this. They're a tech company. They wanted to test. So we bought a 500 person list and we went through this and we got zero response. Hmm. Ouch. And, yeah. and, then, and then of course it, it can really hurt you because uh, the, the major providers like MailChimp and Constant Contact, uh, they won't even often let you even upload these lists because they know, they know these emails. They've seen them before. Um, and they don't want to be uh, known as a, as a spreader of spam. And, and so that's, it's a big problem all around. It's just, again, we get, we get suckered into it as small business owners because we desperately want to do what's hot 
Instead, we need to go about building our own list. But but that can take time, and then there's effort there. And I think it ties to the call to action on our websites, but also in the case of a restaurant, as we've talked about as examples, you have to actively build that list there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of e-commerce sites where the first time someone comes, they make an offer to them for their email or their text permission and phone number because people read text even more than they read email. I mean, yeah. you get a you get a text on your phone, when was the last time you didn't look at it? Right, right. So the so these uh, sites from Staples to uh, you know fashion sites and others, the first time someone visits, they'll pop up on the homepage. They'll interrupt their shopping and say, uh, "If you give us your email, you get twenty percent off your first uh, order," or uh, entered in a sweepstakes or something, because they know that most people, the vast majority of people, are not going to buy on their first visit. But if they can get their email address, they can market to them. And then the lifetime value of that customer, you know, what they're going to spend with the company over the whole relationship is going to be several times higher. Yeah. All right. We'll pull out of this uh, deep dive here. Thanks for, for indulging me on all those questions. This chapter sure. alone on email marketing in the book is, is worth, the, worth the price of the book. Again, the book is called Bullseye Marketing. This particular chapter has what you have throughout the book, which is a case study, this MailChimp case study, which is great learning there. So great chapter in the book, but we'll move on because of time. So we've been doing a deep dive on phase one of the bullseye, which is to fully exploit your existing assets, your customer, your website, that traffic that you already have. And, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. Often it doesn't cost any money. And so that's at the heart of it. Let's briefly touch on phase two, which is sell to people who want to buy now. So they're ready to buy from us now. So tell me a little bit about that phase. Yeah. So what a lot of people don't appreciate is that their market is smaller than they think it is because unless you're selling something that people use you know, constantly like food or haircuts or clothes or maybe uh, you know a frozen yogurt shop something of that sort but in in a lot of other purchases they only happen once or twice a year or every several years um, when I had my uh, web development agency for those uh, colleges and schools um, you know typically organizations companies only redo their website every four years or so so we had a database of 3,000 potential customers mm. but we had after a year or two, we knew when they last had redone their website. And so we wouldn't contact them for three years because they, you know, if they had done their website last year, they weren't going to do it again right. this year. And uh, so that allowed us to be much more cost effective with our marketing and really focus in on those customers who are likely to buy soon. And uh, so marketers sometimes call, describe this as using intent data. And one of the great uh, tools for that is search advertising, because most of the time uh, these days, whether you're in, in a business or acting as a consumer, you're starting your buying process by doing searches. And so uh, doing some, and, and while it can be very difficult to get high rankings for content, on a Google search results page, you can spin up a search advertising program, a paid search advertising program, you know, in under an hour. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, uh, and then there's some other things you can do to, to identify, for example, who is coming back to your website a lot. Um, are there people or companies where uh, suddenly, unlike last month, they're starting to come to your website, they're opening their, your emails more, they're downloading their more stuff, they're looking at your webinars and your videos and so forth. Those are all uh, intent signals also. So those are people or companies uh, that you want to focus your efforts around um, rather than trying to just broadly uh, spread your message to uh, the whole world. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so that's phase two. Again, phase one was exploit your existing assets. Phase two is sell to people who, who want to buy now. They're ready to buy now. And you talked about some of the techniques there. I think that's where retargeting can come in and play a role as well. You know, mm-hmm. I've been visiting your, your website and now I see your ad on Facebook, those kinds of things. Right. And then phase three, and again, phase three is, is that outer ring of the bullseye. And as we come out of the inner ring, these things take more time, may or may not cost more, but, but really the key is that it takes more time to, to generate leads and sales the farther out of the bullseye we go. Is that correct? Yeah. And so in the outer ring, you have social, organic social media. You know, social media ads is a different thing because those can be so well targeted. And you can even use your email list to uh, target social media ads to the same people that you're emailing. Mm-hmm. So that can, that can be really um, effective and useful to do too. Um, really almost as part of a phase one program, uh, except that it costs a little bit more. It's not always real expensive. But organic social media, where you're posting and tweeting, um, or where content marketing, where you're blogging and, and creating videos and infographics, or you know, kind of broadly targeted display ads, those all take typically, they, they have very low click-through rates. They take a, a long time to produce results. They, they may or may not you know, cost a lot of money to do. But um, you know, I, I was saying that the world has changed a lot just in the last five years. Five years ago, if a company posted on uh, something, you know, a new post on Facebook or on Twitter, typically 20 or 25% of their followers might see that. Yeah. These days, it's literally about 2%. Yeah. And uh, that's because the platforms, A, found out that their members want to see content from other people a lot more than they want to see content from brands. Uh, but secondly, you know, they just said, hey, you're a company. You want to get your message in front of people? Pay us. So um, that, that opportunity was probably peaked about five years ago on the organic social media side. Uh, but that message has not gotten out to a lot of people. Yeah. And, and it still seems like, well, I guess that's what I have to be doing. I need to be tweeting. Or I need to be posting on Facebook. But that's an important distinction. The, the organic, what we're going to get organically, meaning I'm not paying Facebook to either boost my post or a separate Facebook ad. Just I, I just share something on my Facebook page. That's going to get such low traction and, and it takes a long time to acquire leads and new clients and customers that way. Yeah, totally. Um, now, it depends, again, on, you know, you have to know where your, where your audience is. There's sure. a lot of different social platforms. 
And some platforms, for example, I think for celebrities or fashion people, Instagram works a lot better than Twitter. Mm -hmm. And they, they may see a lot better results uh, from that. Uh, so you, you have to know where your audience is and, and experiment and, and find out uh, if you can actually produce some results on, on some of the platforms. Yeah. All right. So uh, besides the book, summarize for us the, the other services and programs that you are currently offering your clients. Yeah. So what Revenue and Associates, probably uh, the two major ways that we work with companies. One is uh, helping them develop their marketing strategy rapidly. It's a service we call a marketing strategy sprint where in, in one month we get a lot of uh, business information from the company. You know, they tell us who two or three of their main competitors are. We look at what the competitors are doing, get a sense of the industry, where some of the marketing channel uh, opportunities are. And then we do a full day workshop with the senior people in the company where we go through, you know, who is their competition? What is their, what are their differentiators? What's their positioning? What, technology, marketing technology they're using, what could they be using? And we finish by creating a 12-month action plan. And then they can implement that on their own. They can use others. They can use us. It's, you know, it, it's, there's no obligation after that workshop. Another service that we provide is managed marketing services for companies that essentially don't have a marketing department, uh, want to get in the game, and we basically handle their marketing uh, for them for six months or a year or longer, at which point, at some point, they, you know, we may transition it to them and help them build uh, a team to uh, take it over. And Revenue and Associates is a, a company that you founded? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you enjoy? What are, what's one of the things you enjoy most today, Louis, about being an entrepreneur, about being your own boss? Uh, you know, it's always fun. Uh, the thing that I enjoy about kind of the B2B business and, and the consulting and the work that I've done really since, uh, you know, days of the Cabbage Patch Kids mm. was uh, just getting into so many different companies and so many different industries and seeing how things really work and helping people with the challenges that they have. And, you know, certainly at, at uh, this point in my career, I have enough experience and knowledge, you know, to to bring to a company that, that is valuable to them. So that's enjoyable. All right. And uh, books, besides your book, is there a book that you've read in the past that you would recommend? Yeah. I, you know, probably one of the business books I like the most is Good to Great by Jim Collins. And, you know, I could summarize that in three words, focus and execute. Hmm. And uh, it's not about like a huge breakthrough, crazy idea. It's really about how most companies uh, can make that transition from good to great just by constantly, as he talks about it, pushing on the flywheel, improving their uh, execution, working better as a team, understanding their customers, and just iterating on that and just getting better and better over time. Agreed. I think it's a must-read book for business owners. We'll have a link to that book as well as to Louie's book, Bullseye Marketing, on the show notes page of this episode, and you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. Louie, we'll wrap it up with these last two questions. What's one thing you want us to take away from our conversation, in particular, 
for us as small business owners on this topic of bullseye marketing? What's one thing you want us to take away? Well, just to know uh, in a way that many small business owners don't, that marketing really is, uh, can be a terrific revenue generator for you and can make a real difference in how fast your business grows. It's, it's a new discipline. You don't necessarily have to do it all yourself, but definitely don't ignore it. And you've talked about this many times on other shows you've been on. I talk about all the time. We have to look at it as an investment, not just an expense, right? Absolutely. Where do, where do you want us to go online to find out more? Well, go to Amazon to buy the book. It's available in both, uh, you know, Kindle, ebook, and uh, paperback versions. And you can go to revenueassociates.biz or email me at louie at revenueassociates.biz. I'm also on Twitter at Louis Gadima. It's one of those names that wasn't hard to get the handle. Right. And the, uh, the book website is louisgadima.com. Fantastic. And if you didn't get a chance to write that down, you're listening to this episode like I do at the gym or on a walk, we'll have all of those links on the show notes page at thehowwebusiness.com. Louis, this has been a great conversation. Uh, hopefully get you back to talk about so much more in this book. There's a lot of depth here. Uh, we just touched on a little bit of it. Thanks for being with us today and sharing of your knowledge and um, appreciate it. Thank you, Henry. I've enjoyed it. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Louis Gadima. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.